0: Hi, ah, you're listening to sometime in Long Island City, and this is Eric Hathaway bringing you the first in the second series of Artist's Portraits, in which I'll be talking to local musicians about their life and their music. This second series is a development from the first, and I hope to be able to feature more music from the artists themselves, recorded live for the podcast and from their published recordings. In this first of a newly designed format, I'm talking to Jesse Terry, a local singer-songwriter who originates from Connecticut. I was fortunate to be able to talk to him in the old Hit Factory recording studio, courtesy of Gibson Guitars, and his three live songs were recorded in the same room where artists such as Paul Simon, Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen recorded some of their most famous albums.
1: sure silence filled my head, a deafening roar. The ferries are fuel enough. You'll catch the first one home. I'm losing the will to fight the pull of the undertow. From the day we collided, our fate's been decided. The restless wind divides us, we know it's wrong, we know it's wrong. We move against the tide, with nothing on our side, we keep holding on, holding on, holding on.
0: Today we're very fortunate to be in the in the old Hit Factory which is now the Gibson showroom in uh, 54th Street in New York and we're sitting in the studio where Michael Jackson's Bad was recorded, Paul Simon's Graceland and many many other very hits. Very cool. So very very privileged to be here uh-huh. and uh, I'm very also very privileged today to be talking to um, Jesse Terry, a uh, singer-songwriter who comes from that place that I keep mispronouncing Bamaronek. Mamaronek. Mm-hmm. Mamaronek, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. Is that an Indian name?
2: I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't grow up there. Okay. I grew up kind of over the border in Connecticut.
0: Okay. Yeah. So whereabouts in Connecticut did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Wilton, Connecticut, which is, um, is still close enough to be a, a Manhattan commuter town, but, but pretty country, pretty rural. We grew up next to a, a horse farm and, and um, now it's a very, very cool organic farm. Beautiful, beautiful town. Big family. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big. Pretty big family. And uh, I mean, my immediate family isn't as big. I just have my um, my older sis, who's who's really cool. Uh, another very creative, creative soul. Um, but fairly large Irish family.
0: Is that where the word the name Terry comes from? I believe so. First generation Irish. Irish going back a long way.
2: No. No. Uh, yeah. I mean. My grandfather was um or is german and uh my grandmother was um i think i believe a hundred percent irish and we still have family over there but i haven't i haven't made the made the trek over there yet, but i can't wait to mm-hmm. it's gonna be awesome
0: so there's you and daughter. your your older sister
2: yep she works for um anthropology in philly now and oh the 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 store yep and she's also um She's just released her third book, um, just went on like a big book tour. She's been touring like more than more than I have lately.
0: So what kind of book?
2: Uh, it's a crafting, she's into crafting, which I guess is like a big, it's a big craze right now.
0: Okay. And any other extended family around where you live?
2: Um, yeah, my mom lives in, in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, she's, a, uh, she's a master gardener and also an artist and graphic designer and my dad moved to arizona like two years ago so now we have a a nice excuse to go out to scottsdale arizona and you know make lots of visits to sedona and the grand canyon and stuff so that's cool i dig it out there
0: so much music going on in your family when you were growing up
2: oh yeah i mean uh my parents um my mom and dad before they split were, were in a duo so they worked I think they, I think they gigged about six nights a week as we were growing up and, and, and had a great local following and then, and then woke up in the morning, you know, to take care of, you know, they got home at two or three or whatever and, you know, the, apparently the club scene was just booming back then, you know, in the, in the, in the 80s, um, and then they'd wake up in the morning and take us to school. I don't know how they did it. I think my dad, like, did that for a while and worked as a, a, a school bus driver, which I guess... <laughs> 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 wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be on that school bus.
0: Mm. What kind of music was it?
2: Um, they did. I mean, my mom sounded a lot like Emmy Lou, and uh, I so I guess you. I mean, they were like folk country. My dad was a was a James Taylor kind of fanatic and and Beatles fanatic, and mm-hmm. I mean, they had all the, you know, in my book, all the right influences. Uh, loved Linda Ronstadt and. Graham Parsons and Jackson Brown and, and uh, somehow, you know, I pretty much like all the same artists that they played when I was in the house, which is which is kind of cool.
0: What kind of stuff do you remember hearing when you were young? Oh, man. I um,
2: always remember hearing lots of Beatles and lots of James Taylor. And then um, as it got more into like the 80s and stuff, I remember like, I remember the Hall notes kind of craze and like lots of, lots of thriller, lots of thriller. So Michael Jackson, I think, probably became my, you know, my hero when I was. So it's pretty, pretty cool to be in this set Mm at that point.
0: So what instruments did your parents play?
2: They played, um, my mom played guitar. Um, My dad played guitar, drums, bass, piano, Um, still plays pretty much all of that. he was playing drums again for a little while, but he, he just recently sold his set. So I guess he's given, given that up again. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So were but there a lot of instruments around in the house? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So can you remember picking up a guitar or any other instruments for the No, I didn't.
2: I, I you know, my, my sister and I sang and um, I got super, super into painting and, and fine art. And, you know, I think mm. just kind of avoided music until until I just couldn't any longer, and then it, it bit me. It bit me really, really, really strongly when I was about 18 or 19, and I, I wrote my first song, and I started playing guitar, and, and from that point on, I just couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't put it down.
0: So before then, you avoided music, because there was so much of it around in the house?
2: There was so much around of it, and, and also, it was my parents, it's what my parents did, and then, you know, my mother, my mother married a musician, slash author and so I guess we were very encouraged to be artistic um, and for some reason I just got in I just got into fine art um, before music and I don't, I don't know why
0: that's like what watercolor painting oil painting what?
2: yeah oil and and pencil and pen and ink mm-hmm. mainly
0: do you still do that
2: um, I've been doing it a little bit lately when I when I can you know music's pretty pretty consuming
0: and was that something that nobody else in the family did?
2: No, my mom. Um, my mom's still an artist, and and always, always was an artist. Right. And my uncle actually is a, is a is a pretty renowned painter, uh, Christopher Terry. He's the dean of art out in uh, I believe Utah State or something, and he's a he goes to Germany every year and like a Fulbright. He was just brilliant, brilliant guy.
0: So you said you you found yourself being pulled into music around the age of 18 because huh. uh, you wrote your own song so yeah how, how did you come to write your own song
1: well
2: that was just a I think a, a real natural thing um, and I, I can't believe it took me that long I think it, maybe I was I think I was probably just very distracted by girls and, and partying in high school and then of course fi- fine art but I think mainly the um, the girls, you know? And then, and then I, I, I think I broke my, um, my leg or something like that. And I was kind of laid up for a little while and my mom gave me an old Yamaha and I just, I just wore it out. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when I wrote my first song. And, and that's when I started, you know, trying to learn James Taylor licks and, and Beatles songs and stuff. And from there, it was just this, um, and still is this, this kind of epic battle to the right. To write a great song and to also you know express emotion and and heal yourself and connect with others and you know just this giant thing, which I think is a pretty lofty goal mm-hmm. but it was it was a form of expression that i wasn't um, I didn't feel with art as, I didn't feel it as strongly, so music was a more power powerful expression mm-hmm. mm. for me
0: so your your first song is that something you still sing? No no
2: I don't <laughs> I don't really remember what the first song mm-hmm. was I guess I should have documented it better um, I did make a first record um, and I recorded it my dad had a recording studio o- always has so um, we made we made it well we did a lot of demos and stuff like that but we also made a first record which is which was really fun and, and really cool and I'm still proud of it I don't have it like up on iTunes but you know I still have have copies of it and okay. Some yeah. of my first songs were on that, yeah. and uh, and and yeah, my dad did an amazing job. I mean, he got Larry Campbell to come in and play guitar. I don't know if you know Larry, but he was Bob Dylan's band leader for forever, and he, just a just a just a genius. You know, plays pedal steel and guitars and fiddle and mandolin and you know pretty much anything with strings on it. And uh, one of those dudes.
0: And so so when you started to play guitar, did you uh-huh. just? Did someone teach you? Did your mom teach you? Or did you learn from a book? What did you, do? Would you work it out for yourself?
2: I guess I learned mainly from um, Guitar Tab mm-hmm. and books and stuff. Um, eventually, I had um, a guitar teacher, David Co., who's um, amazing, and uh, also taught like John Mayer and folks like that for a little while and still like a really, really good friend. We, mm-hmm. we do gigs together occasionally, which is such a trip. But, um, just a wonderful guy and like just one of those great teachers who like didn't force you to like you know I told him I was like I want to be a great songwriter of course I want to be a great guitar player but the most important thing to me is being a great songwriter so we didn't spend too long on like the solo to Hotel California you know like he Mm. was he was really great about teaching me what I needed to know you know
0: Mm. so it sounds like you were around a lot of very talented people. Yeah. Who were helpful towards you as a young guy, developing as a musician. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, no, very helpful. I had a great voice teacher, um, Tracy Marble. Her husband was actually my drum teacher growing up, and um, she was amazing, and the same kind of thing. She knew what I wanted to do. She didn't try to get me ready for Broadway. You know, she, Mm -hmm. she, she helped me. With my vocals, and she helped me like get ready for Berkeley because I, you know, eventually went to Berkeley when I was 21. So I went to college a little late, mm-hmm. and uh, like everything else, a little late bloomer on that. Right. So and, you, uh, you, you you wrote <laughs> your first song
0: when you were 18, uh, and then you went to college at the age of 21. Yeah. What were you doing in that period? Well, I I
2: um I was a full time for for a while there after high school. I was a, a full time nanny or manny as I like to call it, and I took care of some kids, some wonderful kids, and, and that was great, and when I wasn't doing that, I was just playing guitar, and, and I had an apartment, and um, eventually, I think at, about after a year or so, my grandma, I had this, this wonderful grandma, and um, she said, why don't you just come live here, and you can stay up all night and play your music, and you can save on rent, and get ready for Berkeley." so I moved in with grandma, and I just had a Amazing couple of years with my grandma right after my grandpa passed so I, su- I feel like I was able to kind of mm. You know hang with her and and keep her company and we just had a we just had a blast mm. together Watched a lot of jeopardy played a lot of music it was mm-hmm. good times.
0: So di- when did you go first go and play in public?
2: Um, th- there was a place called um, It's still there. I believe it's called acoustic cafe in Bridgeport, Connecticut and um They had just an amazing um, open mic there. Just, I mean, you know, some open mics are just dreadful, you know, and some are amazing. And this was just one of the amazing ones. And there was such a community there. There were some people there that were just at at such a high level, and there were people like me who were just learning and and still looking down at their fingers when they were playing an F chord. And and so it was a wonderful kind of community and environment to... to, um, to grow musically in so they were they were very kind
0: to me you know so can you remember how you decided to go along there to go along where and, and risk playing in public did it was that easy for you to do were you encouraged by family oh no, i was very nervous um um
2: and i was nervous about performing for a, for a long time even even after i became better and you know and and worked really hard um um but i just I just viewed it as a as a necessity and and the and of course, the rush i mean the rush from um from having a great show or a great performance is is so amazing, you know, connecting with other people and mm-hmm. so so the rush of that and like the need for that kind of outweighs the the fear of like having a bad show or just or screwing up mm-hmm. and then you you know, you get to a certain point where even if you have an off night, like it's not like that bad, mm. you know. I mean, when you're first starting, you can have you can have a really off night. You can have a train wreck. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know. And do you judge the the night by the reaction of the people or by your own critical standards of performance?
2: I, th- I think it depends. I mean, I think this business is. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I was playing. You know on this beautiful farm in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is outside of Atlanta, and uh, on this just amazing concert series. Probably about 350 people there, just, you know, beautiful lighting, sound, it was just perfect night, Um, and I also feel like I had a really good performance, and then, um, you know, over the weekend I played a show where there was, I was pretty much just playing to my wife and my dog, you know, outside, and it was a beautiful day, and it doesn't bum me out as much because I know that you know there there's just different shows and this business is just it's very humbling you know you can have a show like that where where your people kind of treat you like you're 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 famous almost you know and and uh, but we all know it's you know it's it's crazy. We're just like, oh, thank you so much, you know it's very humbling, you're very grateful for it. And then you play a show where where you're playing to a few people and you know, maybe maybe the you can barely hear the applause. But you know that it's not necessarily because of you. You know, it's more because of the environment and mm. the the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I you could say I'd be self criti I'd be self critical if I was um you know, especially if I was unprepared. You know, I don't I don't like that.
0: Are there any particular moments that you remember that you cringe about?
2: <laughs> um, quite a f- there's probably quite a few. I, I probably blocked them out. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, well, when I was in Nashville, I spent a long time in Nashville as a staff, as a staff writer on Music Row. You yep. know, mm-hmm. I had a publishing deal down there. So I'd only play about maybe once a month or so usually. So every show was, you know like the build-up to it was 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 kind of nerve-wracking because the more you play the more the more it becomes so natural and you know like i had three shows over the weekend so I'm, you know i probably played eight hours of music you know mm-hmm. i'm like i'm pretty used to it now but um back then there'd be this big build-up and i and i think i had some stage fright that i worked on and so i had quite a few shows where i feel like i i bombed Mm. Just from being nervous and not not enjoying the moment and having yeah. fun because it's it's all about having fun yeah. You know, even if it's a The biggest show ever, yeah. you know, it's 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 all about having fun yeah. Let the blue skies go to your head take two two, two.
1: driver About a quarter to nine You can hear the ball walk And the car will rise And it's much too early Just to sit at home But you on the seat As he hands you a rose As you lean on the hose of his car His engine's warm yeah. skies go to earth, yeah. See the flash of childhood in this halogen light. The world will keep crumbling down You ain't always gonna be this young Ascension's warm Guys, go to your head, oh, 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 it's a long, hard, far.
0: When you went to Berkeley, mm-hmm. had you been playing in public a lot and writing a lot of your own stuff?
2: Um, yeah, I, I'd been. Um, well, I don't know about a lot. I'd been playing a lot. I mean, my my grandmother, you know, bless her heart, she she let me play guitar all night long, and I'd be, I tap my feet like crazy, like so all night long. I'd just be tapping my my feet mm-hmm. and. Uh, and she said it lulled her to sleep. I don't know if she just said that to be kind. She was just mm-hmm. the sweetest woman. Um, but so I was playing this open mic pretty much every week. But that was, you know, that was pretty much the extent of my live performance career before I attended Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a lot of songs. I wrote a lot of bad songs, mm-hmm. and maybe a few good ones. And and then hopefully. A couple of years into Berkeley, I started writing songs that were that were halfway decent, and uh, I had a lot of success there. Like in the in the songwriting department, got a lot of scholarships, which mm. which helped a lot.
0: You so know. you went there to study songwriting,
2: pretty much. I mean, I wanted to get better at everything. You know, whether it was singing and playing guitar and and harmony and and um, oh, I was terrible terrible at ear training, terrible at sight reading. Still, still am. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but I don't feel so bad because Paul McCartney doesn't ever want to see a note, so I don't, mm-hmm. feel, I don't feel so bad. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like math to me, you know, yeah. reading notes. Yeah. Um,
0: but um, oh, I forget the question. What were we talking about? Whether you <laughs> st- whether songwriting was your like your major. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite know how it's organized at Berkeley. Yeah. You go there and you have a major in. Performance or writing right. or whatever
2: it took me a little while. There's also a major called pro music Which is kind of like a combination of it's pretty much like I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life Like I can take a little bit of everything so that's what I did for a couple of years mm-hmm. And then I switched it over. They're pretty good about switching and stuff. So I switched it over to songwriting and um, Just because it allowed to ta- you know allowed me to take more songwriting courses mm-hmm. You know so
0: so was there a point Leading up to Berkeley where you made the decision that you were going to be a musician and do it for a living Yeah, I mean just immediately. I mean
2: as soon as I started playing um, I was consumed by it and I just wanted to get better and better and better and I put all my eggs in one basket from the the very beginning Mm -hmm. and I'm still my eggs are still all in one basket
0: with lots of support from your family still?
2: Yeah, 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 I mean they were um, It's it's kind of like how can you criticize it we you know they did the same thing mm-hmm. and also my dad was you know my dad managed to make a, a, a good living in The New York area and and had some success in Canada as an artist and did all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. so I felt like it was a, a possibility to to make a living doing it and um I felt like Berkeley was the place. My dad also graduated from Berkeley, so I I thought that was the place. Hmm. I think so it was. Go, yeah. yeah.
0: Let's go back to the age of eighteen. Yeah. And you've talked about what kind of music was around when you were younger. So when you were eighteen, that would have been what? Um, Rage the Against 90s? the
2: Machine, mm-hmm. uh, Nirvana, right? Yeah. Um, Jane's Addiction. I was really big into Jane's Addiction. Uh, what else was, was around? And then, of course, lots of rap, which I was also really into. Okay. I was kind of into everything.
0: Yeah. Does that influence your music at all?
2: I wouldn't say now it does. Um, not that I don't enjoy, uh, enjoy it, um, but I enjoy, like, all kinds of music. But, I mean, I still was influenced by, you know, the Beatles and James Taylor. Like, I never... I never went through a period where I, w- I, I thought that music sucked mm. you know I just went through a period where I loved Rage Against the Machine and Metallica and Megadeth and yeah. you know so did you play anything like poison. that or so did you
0: start to you know play want to play Metallica stuff and play yeah. a big electric with lots of speakers that kind well, of thing I played thing?
2: drums first so I, I remember playing um, my my first you know, I, I should say that like, you know, before I played the guitar I was you know, I grew up playing drums, so I was I was a pretty good drummer, you know, mm-hmm. so you know, for my age. Yeah. So at age age twelve or so, I remember playing in the talent show and I think we played Poison and the Beatles and I was also the lead singer. So I had a bit of a Don Henley thing going on. Mm-hmm. And um so but it was cool though that we were they that we were into all the guys in the band were, were into you know, Poison and, and Warrant and all, all the hair metal bands, but also variants like the Beatles and the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones and stuff.
0: Yeah. So I guess if you had a drum kit at home, uh-huh. you could just go and sit it on at any time, which is something a lot of kids wouldn't have. Yeah, they'd go to school. They said, "I want to play drums. I'll really have to get you a kit. Oh, you gonna have to play practice pads at home or whatever." Right, you had it around all the time. You had familiarity with it in your oh, environment. Yeah. Your dad played, so I had a drum
2: kit. Yeah, I, I, well, this was after my parents split, but I had a, a drum kit in the garage, and we were definitely a garage band, and and made a lot of noise. And and when the band wasn't around, I I mainly played to uh, along to Jimi Hendrix. That was the most fun most fun stuff to play drums to for me spanish castle castle magic yeah. especially
0: yeah. so when you record do you are you a sort of one man band or do you to play all the instruments do you no no, yeah. no no you have no. a drummer come in I let people do
2: I I know a few cats who play everything but you know I, I've got my hands full with uh, with guitar yeah. and singing and trying to you know trying to always get better and write great songs and then of course the business aspect to to my career which is so vital you know which lately I've been doing more of than music which always bothers me but um, but I've learned I've learned to embrace that side of it
0: do you have a manager
2: I don't know I have had managers in the past um, and I'd be open to it I mean there's Every once in a while, something comes. You know, I just had a a CD release party in in New York, and mm-hmm. I think you were in the UK or that's something. That's right. Yeah. It yeah. was it was wonderful. Just a amazing amazing night, and um, there were some label folks out, and you know, I talked to people here and there, but I don't I don't really wait for anything to you know come to me. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's the the major difference between when I lived in Nashville, I did about, I did, like, about once a month, I had a label showcase with a full band, it seemed like, for about two years there after I released my first record, and I was just kind of waiting for them to make something happen for me, and, um, of course, I still had a writing job, so it was a little different, but, um, now I just, I just do everything myself, and then if something comes along that will make sense, I'll, I'll think about it, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be a thing where I'd, I'm like desperate for it.
0: Yeah. So how did you come to go to, to Nashville?
2: Um, I, d- man, I just love Nashville. I always, you know, I grew up in the northeast, and, and I just really, I, I couldn't wait to get the heck out of here. When I, when I was done with Berkeley, I just mm-hmm. wanted a change. I wanted um, a different lifestyle. You know, I, I really, so we, we went down there every year. Um, there's this amazing Berkeley spring break trip. Mm-hmm. they take down to Nashville every year and um, I got to meet like the best writers in town and you know people like Allison Krauss would come in and talk to you and mm-hmm. and it, it was extremely expiring and, and 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 I just I just kind of fell in love with the town and how friendly it was it's it's culture shock you know but man what a what a community and and what a great town and so I did s- you go still down, love it you know
0: did you go down there because you you just wanted to to hang and just see what was available, or did you have a job that you went for? How did, how did that work? Well, I
2: I uh, senior year of Berkeley, I got a call one day. Um, we, we had senior year. We had this amazing apartment on Newberry Street in Boston. It was just just beautiful. You know, my other apartments were not so nice, but I got lucky like my senior year, and um, I was just walking to class and some guy from Nashville called named Bart, and uh, it turns out he was the director of uh, Nashville Songwriters Association, and uh, I had won grand prize and also second place in their, like, their international songwriting competition, which was, like, my first kind of big... I had won a bunch of stuff at at Berkeley and a bunch of scholarships, but it was kind of like my first big, like, acknowledgement, you know, and, and... Oh it's extremely exciting so they they flew me down to Nashville and they put me up at this beautiful hotel and and uh I got to meet all these people and and play the bluebird and they gave me a guitar and you know it was just just amazing so from that um that's where I met my music was introduced to some music publishers and um They didn't sign me right away. The first thing I did was I got a job washing boats at the marina. specifically washing boats, yachts, more more yachts, really than boats. Mm -hmm. And my boss, Bo, who later became my roommate, was this great guy from Mississippi. Just this big old, big old guy who used to be a linebacker at Ole Miss. Great guy. So I'd wash boats all week for, you know, eight bucks an hour. And then on the weekends, we'd go out on these, you know, two million dollar yachts and and take the boats down to Riverfront in Nashville. It was the craziest. It was such a funny okay. life, you know. Yeah. Um. But I was dying. I mean, eight bucks an hour wasn't wasn't good even in yeah. 2004. So. um. So, yeah, in August, I signed a publishing deal oh. after being courted in like, you know, July or something okay. so it took about two months from like moving to Nashville until I got like signed my publishing deal
0: so you had a lot of you had a lot of success at Berkeley for your songwriting yeah you were getting recognition from yeah. both within and outside yeah so what was that like for you there having all that achievement
2: was I mean it was a dream come true I mean at that point all I wanted to do was work on my craft and write songs and meet people and, and learn how to co-write because I had never really co-written before. Um, so to move to Nashville and to sign a publishing deal with a guy who had written like 10 number one hits, you know, and, and to meet these wonderful people. And, and I mean, it was just a dream. I mean, I just, I remember the investors were these really country guys down in Arkansas but wonderful people and they had these uh, cabins on the White River down there where people Mm -hmm. go down to you know it's like world-class fishing and stuff Mm -hmm. and I just remember being in Arkansas and I was like man like three months ago I was in Boston Massachusetts like here I am sitting in Arkansas like you know hearing all these stories and and from these these country folks and, and like I mean life couldn't have been any couldn't have like shifted anymore you know it's just this wonderful shift and um i love that so (laughs) did you
0: have a regular band then
2: i didn't no i i I really really focused on songwriting and co-writing for probably the first you know three years i still you know played shows and i still i still did my artist thing just as a soloist uh pretty much yeah, yeah for the most part and then after a few years you know i made my first record the runner and um which was like about a one-year labor of love and uh, which was really fun and during that period I you know I found some guys I love to play with and we, we showcased about once a month mm-hmm. and had a, had a blast mm. you know mm. it was a
0: blast mm. so is this stuff from that era that you still play
2: uh, some of it um, I I definitely really uh, I'm proud of my first record for sure and I, I sp- I still play a lot of those songs Mm -hmm. you know some of them are more suited for a full band and um, I haven't played with a you know I play with a kind of a full band in New York City it seems like a lot of people are are, you know playing are are stripping down a bit Mm. you know just yeah just because of the cost and um, but I mean for my CD release I had I had I pretty much had a full band uh it wasn't like a full rock and roll band. It was a little bit more broken down. Mhm. Um So a lot of the songs work that way. Of course, at that show I played mainly stuff off the new CD. Yeah. But yeah. I still I still play those yeah. all those songs pretty often. Mhm. Yeah.
0: So CDs that you've done the latest one Empty Seat on a plane. Yes. Uh-huh. And the first one was The Runner. Uh-huh. Between that, between those two, is there something else as well?
2: Uh no. No, I had I had quite a lull there. I um, I had to go out and get a real job. I had always worked part time as a waiter on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't, you n- you normally don't make a ton of money as a as a staff writer unless you've had a a bunch of hits. You know, mm. um, although in Nashville you can. The money goes a lot farther. <laughs> yeah.
0: So how does that work? If you're a staff writer uh-huh. and it goes to an artist and it's a hit, do you uh-huh. get do you get royalties as a as a writer for that? Is sure. That, so does that is not yeah. doesn't go to the company? It goes to you.
2: No. Um, it goes to, you know, I don't fully understand it, but it's a basically you have, um, it's like a record deal where you have to pay off a certain amount of, um, you know, you have to recoup. Okay. the money that they've yeah. paid you but it comes from a certain stream and I forget I forget what that is they have your you know in most cases they have your publishing so I think it just comes out of the publishing stream all right but your writer share comes straight to you yeah so for for a top 10 hit you'd make Quite a bundle of money.
0: So is there stuff that you wrote then that's been recorded by other people that did well?
2: Yes, but not, no, but not that well. All right. Anything that people might know? No, no. I mean I had some TV placements, I had some some indie stuff. Um, I've had some people ask me about songs recently. Like you just you just never know. I mean the life of a song could be, you know, 10 years or 12 years before it's cut. I just don't know. It's not my, um, at this point in my career, it's not my plan A. Right. So uh, is that
0: publishing company, might they still be pitching some of your songs? I think so.
2: Yeah. I think they so are. Something
0: might come out of the blue somewhere.
2: Yeah, it could totally yeah. come out of the blue. I mean, and that, that's another beautiful thing about this business is that i mean i i look forward to checking my email every morning you know <laughs> because sometimes every once in a while there there's something in there that's you know incredibly exciting mm-hmm. you know even if it's just like will you come here and play my concert series and you know is it okay if i pay you you know a thousand dollars you know yes it's okay that's okay <laughs> you know that's fine yeah, yeah. try to contain my excitement because it doesn't mm-hmm. happen Every day, you know. Mm. So most of the most of stuff, the stuff like that, I have to work very hard for, and book and and do and do all myself, and continue to keep on working so I can continue to do this full time. Mm. Because I I don't ever want to do another job.
0: Let's let's talk about empty seat on a plane. Sure. Yeah. Where does that come from? Well, that was. That song. Well, the the very very
2: short story version of that is that you know I met my wife um, Jess in the South Pacific after I lost my publishing deal I took a um, after after some very 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 lean months as a full-time waiter I took a job on a cruise ship uh, met my wife you know immediately and fell in love immediately and kind of like music just knew that this was it you know it's the same kind of feeling mm-hmm. and um we came back to America together five months after, um, we spent five months in the South Pacific together and then came back to America and um, asked her to marry me in Nashville. And then she agreed to go, uh, pretty much move into the car with me and travel America and tour with me. I had set up this tour like around America as we were mm-hmm. on the cruise ship. Cause that was just kind of a gig that I took cause I was, I mean, I wanted to travel, and I, I didn't really want to play cover music, but for me, it was just a way out and a way to save some money and get started touring, which is what I really discovered I really wanted to do. Mm. Um, so it was wonderful in that regard. And then, of course, I met my wife. Um, so when we came back, um, she was only supposed to be here for three months. She had a ticket. You know, when mm, you come over here, yeah, you can yeah. only you get the three-month mm-hmm. visa waiver. So she ha- and you have to have that return ticket. Yeah. And um, so so we had routed the tour to L.A. And I think we were planning on probably both flying back to New Zealand together. But uh, it didn't turn out that way. We we stayed here and we got married. And um, the day her plane was going to leave, we were we were sitting and kind of just taking it all in and in that in that L.A.X. area, that romantic area of L.A.X. Mm. And uh and she said somewhere up there there's an there's an empty seat on a plane and i don't think she meant it to be poetic or meaningful yes. but the yeah. the image to me was very striking yeah. you know that there was a there was a seat that was that was designated for my wife and and she chose me and at the time we had like no money you know yeah. and um the fact that she chose love and that she chose me was just very powerful to me and mm-hmm. And so that's that's where that song came from and then and then eventually the the record became that because my producer and i just said well that's it right there that's kind of the record isn't it you know they were one
1: Grounded for miles Now they are constellations Burning like us Sipping the wine Tangled like vines Thoughts, church above your head at the lights, you could be there and in the sky, or oh, somewhere in the sky, there's an empty seat, an empty Look up, look up above your head at the lights. Cause you could be there still in the sky or oh, somewhere.
0: Tell me about yeah. more of the songs on the record. The one that I particularly like is "Grace on a Train," which rhymes with "just another <laughs> <laughs> another means of transport. Of yeah, so, yeah. So tell me about that one. Where does that one come from?
2: Well, that's another story. I mean, that I, I took a train home from a a party in college. Uh, I was partying in Long Island on New Year's Eve, and um, and of course we just got you know absolutely hammered and stayed up till six. And I think I took a train home like maybe 9 a.m. So I was just in a terrible, terrible state. You know, I probably still had sunglasses on and, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I sat next to a woman and um, I guess she started talking to me and and just she apparently she had some premonition about meeting a singer songwriter named Jesse with blue eyes and, you know, that was a guitar, guitar player. And, um, you know, I i should say that i found all the all of this out later i don't remember any of this okay um, yeah. she kind con- she found me on facebook probably six or seven years later so my first thought was like is this lady you know is this lady normal or is she crazy or like yeah. this is a pretty crazy story and um she did say like you know that on the train i said oh you know grace you know, Grace is my favorite, you know, her name is Grace, of course, and and it's one of my favorite names, and I guess I said that, and whatever I said to her that day, I guess she credits me with um, her leaving her abusive husband. Um, I really don't think I did anything to, to deserve that credit, mm-hmm. um, but something about meeting me and having that premonition or or. Dream or whatever you'd like to call it, whatever it was, it was a sign to her that she needed to get, she needed to move on. Um, so connecting with her was and hearing the story was just like was really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to know her and I knew her. For, you know, we became good friends. And I, I'd, you know, babysit her kids and she had house concerts at at her at her house for me and and. Eventually, I just wrote this song because I decided that she wasn't crazy, that she was just a wonderful lady, and and um. And she really did some things to change my life. I mean, she uh, she lent me money to 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 buy a, a couple suits for my gig in mm-hmm. the South Pacific. I mean, I had no money, so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have met my wife without her. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of my present to her, and and um, a way of telling this story, and also. Um, a way, of beli- a way of expressing my belief in fate. Mm-hmm. Partly for you. Thank you I feel like much. I should give you a request. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome.
1: Well, I found grace And the silence stung my ears With a gaze so far from here Maybe Portugal or Spain oh, I just don't know oh, I said Snow was falling that New Year's Day. I found grace on a train. I found grace on a train. I know I listened to her then, but never thought of. I saw her face by chance when my love jumped the tracks. It all came rushing back. Call it just a random twist of fate. But I found grace on the train. said that winter day so long ago was her turning point, her cornerstone. Someone passing through can save your life, or make you get back in the fight. Well, I found grace on a tree, she bought for me a suit When my rent was overdue She said just promise me you'll go out to find your girl To the edge of the world Something's telling me, she's in the rain, I found grace on the train.
2: She sent me like an eight page or ten page story, it's like almost like a, a short story so it's hard to sum
0: up in yeah a song so does each of your songs have that kind of story behind it?
2: Uh, Not all of them but I you know I think that um, it's a very very personal record Mm. um, and most of them have some kind of story you know behind it and not that I think that's the only way to write or that every song has to be some you know some crazy story that you can you know you can tell like that I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that and I'd love to ex- you know try writing from from different perspectives and different characters like I mean Randy Newman o- always writes from a different character mm-hmm. I assume. but this record in particular was just just me kind of um, being totally transparent and and truthful and I had so much so much change in my life, and just such a wealth of material to write about.
0: In terms of what you're playing and writing now, Uh who would you say still comes to mind when you hear your own music? Do you ever say, oh, that sounds a bit like so-and-so, that sounds a bit like so-and-so? Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying you're copying them. Oh, of course. But when you listen to it again, you might, oh, that's a bit, you
2: know. I mean, you you emulate, I mean, naturally well, absorbed absorb, absorb, yeah, yeah. So it comes who through you, who are you absorbing osmosis, at the moment you know
0: who are you absorbing at the moment
2: um, well I ch- I really try not to like because the first record I was definitely like in such a Jackson Brown craze that like and just and like I was reading about Laurel Canyon and stuff so I was just in a craze about that whole time period that whole Southern California mm-hmm. early 70s kind of of mecca Mm. um almost too much i think so Mm -hmm. i really tried on this record to um not think as much about artists and and really try to find my own unique voice but but yeah you're always going to be compared to people and and that's cool and and a lot of a lot of people have have um said paul simon for this record Mm -hmm. you know maybe partly i mean grace on a train was one that we were in the studio and we were like wow like we better like if we're not careful this could sound like this could sound like yeah. something off of you know yeah. a Simon and Garfunkel record i think it kind of does already a little bit which yeah. you know um
0: but that doesn't do it any harm i don't think no i think it, i mean it's going yeah. to happen yeah, i mean yeah. the
2: songs are i mean you're going to be influenced by by people and i still hear some james taylor sometimes i still hear some some Ryan Adams or some Neil Young or some Jackson Brown in my voice or or whatever you know I mean
0: um well I said to you the other day Neil Finn and oh Neil you Finn you yeah and I've th- heard that a couple yeah.
2: times too and I and I think they're brilliant brilliant but I've I've I haven't listened to them extensively so that's that's cool mm. when someone when someone tells you that you sound like uh, someone that you haven't really been immersed in. It's yeah. almost cooler to me because it's like, well, that just happened yeah. naturally. That's just, you know. Yeah. Well, Neil pre- Finnan himself pre- a few times. has yeah.
0: absorbed stuff. and People say sure. that stuff is Beatlesque. Yeah, so there's, there's, yeah, It's like they're the New Zealand version of of the Beatles, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. Particularly Crowded House, Split were a bit different, but yeah, they're they're That wonderful. kind of. Uh, but that, that mo- What's very that song melodic. About the weather? Right? Oh yeah, the weather with you. Oh yes. yeah. And there's there's a whole catalog of stuff from them that's very Beatles kind of music. And yeah, it's, and great it's, melodies. So they've, they've absorbed that kind of stuff. So sure. That's in the air, isn't it? So right. when you listen yeah. to the Beatles, you had some of that same influence that they would have had.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's only a few people I think that really, I mean, Some of the trailblazers, I mean, of course, all the people we mentioned were trailblazers, but I mean, I mean, somebody like Jimi Hendrix, somebody like uh, Joni Mitchell, I think, Mm. you know, I think Joni Mitchell is probably one of the most original artists ever, you know. I mean, no one sang like her, no one Mm. played like her, no one wrote lyrics like her, you know. Bob Dylan probably falls into that category. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know. And that's that whole... Fifty 50 fifty sixty years of music that we've' we're still yeah. receiving the benefits from
2: right right and I mean the challenge is I mean you know it's not about being better than them, it's just about being as good as you can and there's still things to say and there's still unique ways to say them and there's mm. there's still creative ways to make records and yeah. and uh and to, and to have a wonderful fan base you know that yeah, you can connect yeah. with
0: and all the time there's people there are, there are new generations of people that haven't heard those oh right that, that want right. to connect with with you
2: or with well people. that's really cool that's such a con i mean I, I was playing a winery gig yesterday and it was so cute like this little girl i mean this little four-year-old girl um is like my biggest fan up there mm-hmm. and uh it's one of my friends um his i believe it's his brother-in-law's daughter and um just this little angelic four-year-old but she's like my biggest fan I mean she listens to my record on repeat and like reads along mm-hmm. with the lyrics you know and 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 what a compliment that is you know yeah, I mean yeah. w- and yeah. what a cool thing to know that you're just a small piece of like the fabric of someone's l- life you know yeah. I mean that's that's so cool because sometimes it it does feel like no one's listening, yeah. you know? And to know that, that there are people out there listening is, yeah. is wonderful.
0: Because your music, from my point of view, is, is very accessible. Oh, okay. it's, very, it's very poetic, it's very melodic. Uh, you don't push something down someone's throat. It's nice music to listen to, and it's also very interesting music to, to listen to the words. Uh, it's acceptable to a lot of people. So, who are you listening to at the moment? Um, I've been listening to, um,
2: oh, so much. Um, I've been listening to Brett Denon. Do you know Brett? No. Oh, he's brilliant, brilliant. And then um, Brooke Frazier. She is just, I think, so fantastic. And and one of those people that that, uh, just seems like she has an absolute heart of gold. Which, which makes her so much more appealing, because you just yeah. want to support her, and, like, yeah. I'm happy to, like, buy her t-shirts and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, even, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, very inspired by her. There's the, these guys that I used to know. Um, the Kin. Do you know The Kin? No. They're these... K- au- K-I-N. Yeah. Yeah. Australian band. Uh, they used to work with my dad, and uh, they're actually doing a residency in, at Rockwood uh, right now. They're... Wonderful, like incredible band they're just they're just amazing. Yeah. Um, one of my friends, uh Liz Longley, is another one that I think is just a amazing up and coming singer songwriter mm. and I just came back from playing with two um with these two amazing singer songwriters, uh Beth Wood and James Casto. We just did like a little three day run in mm-hmm. in Georgia, and just so inspired by them right you know and yeah. just wonderful people yeah. i mean that's like the two things for me is is like great music and like great people yeah say like i do these kind of in the round tours sometimes yeah uh a lot sometimes with my really good friends um lizanne Knott and michael logan we do like a, a yearly tour together they're also brilliant see yeah. there's just so many people i don't want to yeah. forget anyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah.
0: Anyway, it's time we were um, for you to play something so It's been a re- great pleasure talking with you, Jesse Yeah, such a pleasure uh, And uh, be good to uh, catch you in concert sometime in New yes. York So thanks for talking and now you're yeah. going to play a few songs
2: Great That's great, thank great.
0: you Play a new song
2: Great Okay, cool yeah. I've, I've, on, I've only played this a couple times Um so we'll give it a shot and hope for the best. But I, I really like it. It's kind of it's kind of about our, our love hate relationship for, for New York. Okay. <laughs> My wife and I would, would would much prefer waking up in the morning and going surfing. You know? That's kind of our <laughs> This is called um it's called Rattling Cage.
1: Sound of freedom in our ears, speeding away like stolen cars. Oh, don't it seem that everyone has found their calling here? And we the only ones gone crazy, with frozen faces. And off the train kiss your hand and say let's go as one I wouldn't have seized crooked smiles everybody's keeping score. oh yes killing me that I can't see.
0: Listening to Some Time in Long Island City, in which Jesse Terry talked about his life and his music. In the show, you heard Against the Tide from Jesse's first album, The Runner, the title track from his latest CD, Empty Seat on a Train, plus three songs recorded live for the program Let the Blue Skies Go to Your Head, Grace on a Train, and a new song, Rattling Cage. This is Eric Hathaway saying farewell from this edition of Artist Portrait which is an Earth Sounds production.